and welcome to I Read a Book Once. My name is Emma, and this is a podcast where I talk about books. Today, I'm going to be talking about Circe by Madeline Miller. This is, I guess it was classified as a fantasy, but basically it is a retelling of the Greek myth of Circe, or as other people call her, Circe. I'm just going to say what I want to say, and if it's incorrect, I apologize for that. So this is a super, super popular book. Like, I feel like everybody has read it, which is not really true, but like, you see it everywhere. It was the book of the year for book of the month, the year it came out. I think it came out in 2017, and they're also turning it into an HBO miniseries, and I'll definitely be watching it when it comes out because I'm very intrigued about it. So basically, like I said, this is a retelling of her basically entire life, everything that we know from the different myths that have survived to today. And it is a retelling, so obviously some things have been switched up. Madeline Miller is also the author of The Song of Achilles, which has also been super, super popular. And so um, you might have heard of both of these books. I have heard of them, and I've been kind of intrigued. I've seen a lot of people reading them in the book community, and I love Greek mythology, which I'll talk about later in the discussion section, kind of my background with Greek mythology. And so I, this is a book that's been on my radar, and it was also the January pick for the book club that I joined after I moved. Now, as you know, I also read The Haunting of Hill House and The Power for that book club. Did I like those books? Kind of, but also no. So, and that book club has been kind of hit and miss for me, discussion-wise, because I kind of joined it to, like, meet new people and, like, get out in the community and it's just not working for me in that sort of community building way so this may or may not be the last episode you hear about this specific book club but I'm looking into seeing if maybe I could join another one and if that would maybe work better for me so we'll see I'll keep you updated and posted on that but um anyways we're gonna talk about Cersei today and so before we get into it two things First, a spoiler warning, if you do not want this book to be spoiled, which I will say, it is a retelling, so, like, if you know the myths about Cersei, like, it's not, listening to the plot summary is not necessarily going to spoil it for you, which is part of, like, the whole thing about it, but also, I'm going to tell you the entire plot, so if that bothers you and you want to read this first, stop here, go read the book, I would recommend it, and then come back and listen to this episode. I also want to issue some, issue some trigger warnings specifically for sexual assault. I don't think rape actually ends up occurring, but sexual assault does. So, like, I'm going to, like, talk about that as well. I don't think I'm going to heavily, heavily focus on it, but I do think it's something that I have to discuss because it's important to the plot. And so, if that is triggering for you, I just want to let you know, both for in the book and for in general for this episode. So, I'm going to take a drink of water and then I'm going to get into the plot summary. Okay, here we go. So the book starts out with the birth of Circe. She is the daughter of Helios, who was the sun titan. Now, if you don't have a Greek mythology background, I greatly apologize because I do, so I'm not going to in-depthly explain all of these, so I'm sorry if you get confused, but basically, I'll give you a real short rundown. So in Greek mythology, they were the Titans, and then they were overthrown by the gods. But some of the Titans were able to stick around because they did not fight on Cronus's side of Cronus's side of the war. And so one of those was Helios. He was basically in charge of driving his sun chariot across the sky, and then the sun was in the sky for people. 
Um, later, Apollo ends up taking that on, but in this book, that sort of switch never really happens. Anyway, so Circe is this uh, daughter of Helios and a nymph named Percy, P-E-R-S-E, and they later have four children. Circe's the oldest, and she's described as having this, like, screeching voice, which we later learn is, like, the sounds like the voice of mortals. So, like, basically all of her childhood... She didn't really fit in. People didn't really like her. Her mom preferred her to two of her other siblings, Pasiphae, who later becomes the wife of King Minos in Crete. I mean, like the Minotaur story. And so she, and then also her brother, Perses, who later I think maybe founds Persia. And I have some confusion about him, but we'll get into that in the discussion section. And then much later, she ends up having a younger brother named Aetes, who later is the um, king of Corinth, and he's also the father of Medea, the, like, a witch of the ages um, of Greek mythology, basically. And he has the golden fleece, blah, 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 that Jason steals. Okay, so um, basically she's born. Nobody likes her. At one point, there's this important sort of plot point. I'm going to kind of give you the highlights because this is a long story. And so I'm going to do my best to keep it short. But so basically before her brother Aetes is born, Prometheus is getting punished. And so basically the story of Prometheus is that he brought fire to mortals and Zeus didn't like that. So he gets punished by having a um, raven or a crow eat his liver every single day and then it regenerates and again and again. And so like on um, Prometheus's sentencing, like, they're all watching it, and when everybody goes away after they're, like, done watching him get tortured, basically, Cersei, like, goes and brings him some nectar and, like, talks to him very briefly, and she sees this as, like, a rebellion, as, like, it's, like, a very important plot point that she comes back to throughout the whole book, like, I helped Prometheus, like, this is, like, the thing she did, you know, in her life. Then her brother Aetes is born, and she ends up, like, taking care of him, but he grows up and leaves her. And so she's, like, cut up about that. And then she ends up meeting this mortal named Glaucos. I'm not sure if that's how you say his name, but he's basically this fisherman dude. And they become friends. And then she later kind of falls in love with him. And she's talking to her aunt um, about, or her grandmother about him and how she wants to help him because he's like, I'm not going to be able to see you anymore because of the fish. I'm not catching enough and my father's beating me and, like, all this other stuff. And so the aunt, like does a blessing so he's able to like fish more and so they can talk more and then she ends up hearing stories about pharmacos about these like um when the titans were slain by like the different greek gods and stuff during like the big war their blood would fall on the ground and it would like bring forth these magical flowers basically so she like hears from her different uncles and stuff like that like where some of those flowers are and she brings Glaucos there and they like are having a picnic or whatever and he falls asleep and she like feeds him like the nectar of these flowers and he ends up transforming into a god and she's like this is perfect I can marry him now but then Glaucos is like I actually don't care about you anymore and I want to marry this nymph named Scylla Scylla I'm not sure how you say her name but you'll you'll recognize her when I get to the next part of the story Cersei is like so jealous so she gets more of these flowers and she puts them in Scylla's like bath and she ends up transforming into a six-headed monster and you'll recognize this story from Greek mythology is that she like 
is in the cliffs and when boats would go by her heads would pick come down and like eat people you might recognize that from the odyssey um knowing the background of the odyssey is really um helpful with this story for sure so that ends up happening and she feels awful about it she didn't mean to turn her into a monster just to like these flowers are supposed to turn you into your true self so she just i don't know what she thought was going to happen but she feels really bad about it because now all these mortals are being killed by her and then she ends up, because she feels so bad, she ends up confessing to her father. And it turns out her and all her siblings have the ability to practice witchcraft. And so she's the only one who ends up getting punished because um, she did something bad. And, like, she basically, the other ones were like, oh, we didn't search out for it. Like, and we're just doing, like, little things. And she's like, no, I, like, tried and I did this. So they all lied. But so she's the one who gets punished. And her punishment is exile on the magical island. I, I, uh, I, uh, AI, AI, AI. Don't know how you say that. So she gets exiled there to never leave and have no company. So at first she's like, yes, I'm out of the like thumb of my father and all these people who never like understood me or cared about me or whatever. And she ends up getting visited a lot by the Greek god Hermes who comes and he tells her stories of what's going on in the world as well as um, keeping her some, some company. They kind of become lovers. And then Daedalus shows up. So her sister, before she got exiled, her sister married King Minos of, I think, Crete but I'm not positive. And so basically her sister calls for her to attend her because she's having this child. She's like, well, why would my sister need me? I know she's had all these other children. Like what's going on? And Daedalus is like, I can't tell you until we get there. Daedalus for reference is a very famous Greek. Um, he has a very famous Greek myth about how he was this inventor and he ends up creating the labyrinth that the Minotaur gets trapped in and he double crosses Minos and they lock him up with his son Icarus and then Icarus flies too close to the sun and dies and like all this other stuff. So I told you I wasn't going to give you a Greek mythology background, but here I am. I can't help myself. So I'm giving you these details anyways. And so I would love, I feel like I could just do a podcast of me like telling you the stories of Greek myths, but this is not what you signed up for. So it is not what I will give you. Anyway, so she goes and then finds out that her sister's pregnant with the Minotaur. So she helps deliver the Minotaur and the Minotaur like has a craving for flesh and she ends up talking to her sister and they've always had this antagonistic relationship but they like almost become friends but not it was like super weird like how it was described and her sister talks about like you don't know the things I had to do to make Percy's happy like because she's saying like you didn't like me like you were doing this and her sister's like almost inviting her to like become like witch friends with her also originally during her exile she's like honing her witchcraft skills and on the island she's tamed lions and wolves and they are all surrounding her and become her friends basically and um she's like learning of witchcraft during those early days so then she and Daedalus have like a little relationship while she's there she meets like Aradne and like all this different stuff and then leaves and that is the only time she leaves the island basically for the rest of the book so then she's going back and she gets sent the nymphs like the basically dad starts sending their like disobeying daughters to her island as like a punishment for like a few years and so I thought she like in my mind I remembered that she like trained other people to be witches so I thought then the story was going to be like oh she becomes their teacher but she's like no I don't want to speak to them and then boats start landing on her island and she also is like Hermes I'm done with you like whatever whatever boats start landing on her island 
and men come and she's so excited because there's people and she's a helper and she wants to heal and all this different stuff. But then they try to sexually assault her and she turns them into pigs, which is what she's really famous for. That's like her big like Greek myth that everyone remembers. So she turns them into pigs and then puts them in the sty in the back. And she does this for like a long time. And then Odysseus shows up. Odysseus, big hero of the Odyssey. He's trying to get back home after serving in the Ili- uh, serving in the Trojan War, the story in the Iliad, blah, blah, blah. They end up on his island. His, like, um, crew comes up, and they are greedy, and she turns them into pigs. And then Odysseus comes up, and Hermes has talked to him about how not to get tricked into, like, getting turned into a pig. So he ends up convincing her to not... Um, to turn all his work, all his crew members back into people, which she does. And then they end up starting a relationship and he's there for a year. And she feels like sort of like a camaraderie with him at the time. And she like kind of wants him to stay, but he talks all the time about going home and getting back to Penelope, his wife and all this different stuff. So eventually him and his crew leave, but he doesn't know that he has left her pregnant. So then she's pregnant and she ends up having her son, Telegonus. And after he's born, Athena comes and tries to kill him, basically. he's She's like, if you let Telegonus live, like, you'll regret it. Like, and we're like, why does Athena, like, want to kill this baby who's done nothing wrong? So basically, Cersei's like, I must protect my son. So she casts this spell so nobody can see the island and Athena can't get in. Like, very heavy, serious witchcraft stuff. And then 16 years pass and she has a hard time being a mom to her son, who has always like wanted to run wild and like not be with her and like all this different stuff. And then at 16, he decides like, it's time. I must go see my father. And Hermes has come, obviously, always meddling Hermes. He's come and um, helped Telegonus build a boat so that he can sail to um, whatever the place that Odysseus is the king slash prince of. I can't remember the name of it now. But to go there, Ithaca, to go to Ithaca to do that and she really doesn't want her son to go and she's like you can't leave and he's like you can't make me stay like all this different stuff so she goes into the deep and she faces off with this like ancient primordial monster who has this like tail that um is so dangerous the poison so dangerous and deadly that just like touching it will kill somebody so she wants to get it to protect her son because she's worried athena will try and kill him so she ends up like talking to this like thing and he's like okay well i'll give it to you but you have to touch it first and like be subject to like eternal pain and suffering from it and she goes to do it and then he's like he like whips his tail away and he's like here's my tail she's like but i didn't touch it he was like but you would and no other god immortal being would do that so there you go so she gets the tail and gives it to telegonus he sails he comes back and he has Telemachus and Penelope with him. So Penelope was Odysseus's wife and Telemachus was his son. And it turns out that Odysseus like comes back and is like raving mad all this stuff. Is trying to wrestle the spear away from Telegonus before he knows who he is. And he scratches himself with it and he dies, which is why Athena had wanted to kill Telegonus because Odysseus was her champion, all this different stuff. So then they're on the island. She's feeling very sus. Like, why did Penelope want to come here? But she also starts connecting with Telemachus. He's telling the story of, like, growing up with the suitors coming and how his father finally came back. And, like, it's interesting because the whole story that you hear about Odysseus before is how much he wants to get home. But when he gets home, he doesn't want to be there. He's constantly leaving. He makes his son kill all the suitors and then kill 
all the like maids and like all these people are just dying and he then is a horrible father so Telemachus feels like really not cool about him. Telegonus is like loving having other people around and Penelope is sus. We're like what's going on with Penelope? And so then Penelope ends up revealing that Athena is going to come and try and make Telemachus her new champion which is why she wanted to come here see if Circe could protect them. Athena does end up coming eventually, and Circe is able to protect them for three days so that the two of them, Penelope and Telemachus, can reconnect and rekindle the relationship and apologize because Penelope, once um, Odysseus comes back, is kind of a horrible mother, which I'll talk about in the discussion section. And so um, Athena comes, is like, Telemachus, be my champion. And he's like, no, I decline. And Circe was like, was like really upset about the whole thing originally because she thought he was going to leave and they were having some sort of like deeper connection and then he turned she then Athena turns to Telegonus and is like you be my champion and Telegonus is like yes and Cersei's like no but then she ends up letting her son go and he ends up leaving and like going to like Italy and forming like two like super popular mythical towns or whatever and becoming king there all this different stuff and then um Cersei calls her father Helios and is like, you need to end my exile. I'm done being on this island. She's been there for like a thousand years, like whatever. And so he's like, why would I do that? And she's like, because if you don't, I'm going to go to Zeus and tell him about all the times you and my uncles plotted to maybe overthrow him. And so her exile is lifted and Telemachus goes with her and she leaves to turn Scylla. Basically, she ends up leaves to like kill Scylla because she feels bad about how she's been killing all these people and it's her fault and all this regret, blah, blah, blah. And then they come back and she's like, Penelope has stayed on the island when they went to do that. And she has started to take up witchcraft and become a witch herself, which was kind of cool. And then um, she like has a conversation with Penelope about Telemachus because, you know, they've started sleeping together, like all this different stuff. And she's like, I want to leave and I would love for your son to come with me. But before I need to do something, I'm not sure how it will go. And what she needs to do is she needs to take those original transforming flowers and she wants to take them herself And she's hoping that they will transform her into a mortal. And then she has kind of this prophesized vision at the end about like what her life would look like after. She ends up marrying Telemachus. They end up having two daughters. They travel the world, like stuff like that. And like she eventually does die and like go to the afterlife. And that is the end of the book. So that was a long plot summary. I apologize. I said I was going to make it short and then I started talking about Greek mythology and I kept talking. So I apologize. But the thing is like this book was not, it didn't have a plot. It was very character driven. And because of that, it's hard to summarize into like little tiny things, especially because all the little things matter in Cersei's character development, which is something I do want to talk about here in the discussion section. But I don't think I want to start with that. I think the first thing I should probably talk about is my Greek mythology background and my background in Circe just to kind of ground this conversation so we know where we're going and where my mindset was reading this. So a lot of my Greek mythology background unashamedly comes from reading the Percy Jackson series, which like is also sort of retellings, but not really. And so like some of the stuff you're learning from that is not really exactly how the myths go, but like you have a general background. And in the second Percy Jackson book, spoiler for this, um, they end up on Cersei's island and she started turning men into guinea pigs instead. And she has all these women on the island, like all these young girls on the island who she's teaching to be witches, like stuff like that, which is why I thought she was like a witchcraft teacher. Um, 
So I knew that. I knew she turned people into pigs and was like on this island and was a witch. But beyond that, I didn't like have any other background on Cersei. I didn't know like... So I was like not sure how much of this was like factual and how much wasn't. So when it was done, I end... But my Greek mythology background, like I also have read portions of the Odyssey and like talked about Greek mythology in school and things like that. So I have like a pretty solid background in Greek mythology. I love retellings or like reinterpretation of Greek myths or the Greek gods are alive to get today and let's talk about their children like stuff like that I love and so um this was like right up my alley because I really like Greek mythology also it was helpful because I knew the background of Daedalus I knew the background of the Minotaur I knew the general story of the Odyssey like things like that so I was able to know that but I didn't know a lot about Cersei in particular. And so basically all of these things that happen in Cersei's, like, there is some sort of, like, mythological background. So, like, in one of the myths, she does marry Telemachus and, like, this other stuff. But then she ends up turning him into a god. And another one, Telemachus marries her daughter. And then they end up, he ends up being killed or something like that. I don't know. It's like this whole thing. But, like, so there's a lot of different ways that her, the end of her, like, life story goes. None of them end with her becoming immortal. But yeah, also talking about the, let's just go to the ending now because I've gotten that out of the way. Um, so, you know, I love to talk about the end at the beginning. And so basically, one other thing I forgot to mention is that her father Helios is said to have like prophetic abilities. He could see the future kind of and all his children were said to also have some sort of ability to do that. So we can assume at the end that she's having some sort of vision, imagining her future. And we can also assume that's probably how the rest of her life went. So I love a happy ending. And so I was all about that ending. I was all about her getting her happily ever after of marrying this man who finally she met like she had like had relationships with other men throughout the book. But this was the first one who like she opened up to and told all of the horrible things that she had done in her past and like also talked about like growing up. Like they like connected and talked about like their like lowest, darkest parts of themselves but still were able to see the good in each other and stuff like that. And they also just, like, had, like, a good, like, intellectual connection. So it was, like, ha I was happy for her that she finally found her match. You know what I mean? And that she, like, can live a life where she's, like, happy because throughout most of the book, she is not happy at all. And so I was all about her getting her happily ever after. And, like, I also found it really fitting that at the end, she becomes immortal because throughout, like, amortal, not immortal. Because throughout the whole book, she's had this fascination with mortals. And also, I didn't catch this foreshadowing, but they talk about how she has this mortal voice. So now she will have the mortal body to match the mortal voice, which I thought was really clever that that was part of it, like, all this different stuff. And so I think that the ending, like, really worked. At least for me, it really worked. However, in book club, we talked about the ending and the moderator did not feel that way. They said that they felt it was very contrived, like throughout, and I understand where they were coming from because throughout the beginning part, like throughout most of the other book, it's like life sucks, basically. Like you can do things, but like at the end of the day, life kind of sucks. Like talking about like a lot of the negatives of life and like seeing like not like you know what I mean like on and also like the whole thing with Greek myths is that most of them are tragedies most of the time the heroes die in some tragic way they don't get to live out their life and become old and then die at the end you know what I mean and so like they said like it's felt untrue but I don't really care 
because I'm not reading books to see how real life is, that it's a tragedy. So that didn't bother me. I would love to know any of you, if you've read Cersei, let me know what you think. Do you all, are you also bothered by the ending or did you like it? Personally, I was all, once, I was all for the Cersei Telemachus romance. And like, I wouldn't even say that there, it wasn't even a heavy romance. It was like a sub subplot. You know what I mean? Right at the very end. But I was all about it. I really enjoyed that a lot. And so the ending really worked for me. Uh, It's too bad it didn't work for others. Going off of that, I think we need to talk about the hype in my overall opinion of this book. So this book, like I said at the beginning of the episode, super hyped. Like everybody's like five stars, five stars. One of my favorite books of all time, blah, blah, blah. And I liked this book. I think that you've probably got the opinion so far that I did like this book and I enjoyed it. I've been looking forward to reading it at some point in the future and the future finally came and I read it. And overall, I did like it. However, this like I don't give star ratings because I don't they just don't they don't do anything for me. I don't rate books online. This is like the most intense rating that a book would get from me is just having the podcast episode dedicated to it where I talk about it because I think that opinions and views on books are a lot more nuanced than just a star rating can show if that makes sense. And so, but if I did do stars, this would not have been a five star for me. This probably would have been like four because I did enjoy it. However, I just don't like, it wasn't life-changing for me. Like people read this book and they say it was life-changing. It was so emotional. It touched them in all these different places. And I did not have that personal, I didn't have that experience personally. I did like it a lot. There were some parts that definitely made me emotional. However, it was not a life-changing read for me. Also, like part of this is that for the part of the book, Cersei's kind of unlikable. And I feel like, did I just talk about unlikable narrators in a previous episode? Huh. Oh yeah, I think I talked about it in my um, wrap-up episode for 2021. Because I was like, the last episode I recorded was people we meet on vacation and they were definitely likable. So I was confused. Anyways, yeah. So like, I have a hard time with unlikable narrators. It's very unlikely if the narrator's unlikable that it could be like one of my all-time favorite books. So that was part of it. And I'll talk about her character development in a minute. But like, also like, one thing is that like, the further I got into the book, the more invested I was. So like, at the beginning, it's kind of slow. But once we get into like the part with Odysseus, and then she has her son and Athena and all that, I'm starting to get like really super invested in all of that. But like, it was just kind of like a slow build for me. Um, It is a slow moving book because of the fact that it is a character driven plot. Like I've been saying, there's not any real through line with the plot. Like, And that's fine. A lot of people really like character-driven stories. I tend to, like, prefer a plot-driven story. So that's also, like, part of the reason this book is harder for me to, like, get behind, especially because it's span... But the thing is, since it's spanning, like, a thousand years or something like that, it's hard for it to be plot-driven and not character-driven. So it's a lot more about Cersei's character development of going from just being very naive to being able to, like, take care of herself to being able to, like, love herself But it's also, like, throughout the way, you're seeing her mistakes, like, turning Scylla into a monster. Not great. We're seeing, like, turning all these men into pigs. Now, if they're trying to sexually assault you, like, I got it. 
we got to protect ourselves in the way we can. But like for a portion of the book, she gets like really wrapped up into that whole thing. And she's not necessarily evil, but she's not a nice person during that part of the book. Like all of this different stuff. Like, so, but you see her grow and I genuinely enjoyed seeing her grow as a character. And I think also part of this, something we talked about at book club is this idea of like how the gods versus how the mortals were characterized. Like, all the gods were characterized pretty negatively and it's because because they live for thousands and thousands of years they live forever like they don't experience emotions in the same way that people do it's about wanting to instill fear so they feel powerful so that they feel worshipped things like that so they don't really understand empathy or love or like anything any human connection and kindness and things like that they don't really understand it but we're seeing Cersei start to understand that and like bring that into her life and things like that and so um it was enjoyable to see her like kind of grow from the beginning to the end she really does become a different person with still a lot of those same core values and characteristics throughout you see at the end okay kind of going off of that we talked about if there's any good characters in this book, at book club. And so I went first and I said, you know, Telegonus is probably the like best character in the book. And then I got pushback like pretty heavily from the moderator and from an older member of the book club. And probably that member is like, I don't know, 60-ish maybe. And so like they both did not agree with me that like so basically my thinking for why Telegonus was the best character is that he's kind of innocent. I mean, he doesn't really do anything bad. Yes, he's accidentally involved in the his father's death, but it's an accident. He was just excited to meet him. His father's the one who flew off the handle and like caused his own death. And he's just kind of a young boy. And the two of them were like, well, he's very selfish. I'm like, I guess because he does want to leave the island. He does want to leave his mother. So that is selfish. But at the same time, like to stay trapped on an island for your entire life is like not a good way to live your life. And so like, I guess it's kind of selfish for him to want to leave and like explore and do other things. But at the same time, he's 16 at the same time, like, you can't expect to keep your child captive forever on your island just because you're not able to leave it. So, like, I didn't agree with them, and I think part of this is, like, an age thing. Now, I'm not 16, but I'm a lot closer to 16 than they are. So, I think I see it differently because I'm only in the child role. I'm not in the parent role at all. Not that both of them are parents, but one of them is. And so, like, I don't know. I think I saw it very differently than them. And so then the other one, the 60-year-old I was talking about, she said Penelope was, like, the good character. And I I didn't say anything at Book Club, but I heavily disagree with that. Penelope is a good character when you think about everything that's, like, happening during the Odyssey. And she's, like, loyal to her husband and, like, all of that and smart. And then I did enjoy her, like, doing witchcraft and eventually, like, trying to protect her son. But when Odysseus comes back, she basically ignores her son for the rest of time until, like, they leave. And her son's like, dad's trying to kill everybody. Dad's going crazy. He's trying to do this. Like, he has this bloodlust. He can't do this. She's like, just leave your father alone. And then ignores her son and, like, doesn't spend any time with him anymore after they had been so close for years plotting against these suitors and just lets her son be used as a pawn in her husband's game of, like, 
killing. And then when her, when Telemachus is like, I don't want to kill people for you anymore. I don't want to do these things. I just want to be a, a sheep or goat farmer or whatever. And Odysseus is like, you're no son of mine or whatever. Penelope doesn't like step in or do anything. And so like, as a child, I see her as a bad mother once her husband comes back because like, that's awful. You should take care and, and protect your child and not dismiss them like she does. So I disagree with them that Penelope is like, the best character, like, being, like, good-wise. Like, generally, she's a good person, but, like, really nobody in this book is, like, a good person. Telemachus does kill all these people, but he really regrets it, and he becomes, like, a good character at the end. So, like, maybe you can argue for him. Anybody immortal, you can't. Odysseus, you definitely can't. So, basically, nobody in this book is that likable or good. So, do with that information what you will. I just want to talk about a few more things real quickly since we're heading up the end of my time limit. One which I've kind of hinted at is the idea of Pasiphae and Perses. I'm very intrigued and we never get an answer, but like I said in the plot summary, when Cersei goes to like help Pasiphae deliver the Minotaur and like all this different stuff, and they're talking about Perses and how they were like friends, she's like, Pasiphae says, you don't know what I had to do to keep him happy, which feel it felt like I was getting sexual vibes like she had to like perform sex acts on her brother for her brother and that was like very concerning and I was like ooh, I don't like that please go like and so like it's interesting to see like or maybe her brother was like making her do like other things like torturing others or like whatever and so it's interesting to think of how that shapes past phase well and it also changes a little bit how we view her and see her because we're not really sure what's going on and we never learn exactly what that's about we actually never see Pasiphae again in the book and we don't know what's going on with her at all like uh, hundreds of years later it occurs to Cersei to ask about her sister and she's no longer ruling anymore obviously she's like apparently gone back to their father's palace but it's like very interesting and so I don't know um what else so yeah that was interesting to me and I think I want to end it there I have one more point about like why are women witches the author wrote like this whole article for a newspaper or magazine or something about like why women are cast as witches and I like had this very thoughtful insightful comment about like how like what the characteristics that are ascribed to witchcraft like this idea of like using nature natural remedies and things like that and then also talking about just like gender roles and things like that but I don't really have the time or the will or the effort to get into that right now I'd rather go eat lunch but if you're interested just google like why are women cast as witches from Cersei to Clinton and then that article will pop up and you can give it a read and let me know what you think and so with that we're at the 35 minute mark that's pretty much the end of the, my time and so I have a few things I want to talk about first I would like to say please rate, review, and subscribe to my podcast. I would really much appreciate it. But I would also like to report, last episode I talked about McAwesome Pants who gave me a five-star review and um, a five-star rating and reviewed my podcast. Again, shout out to you. So I recently checked my ratings when I was like talking about that and somebody gave me a two-star review. So, and a two-star rating, but no review. Now, if you don't like my podcast, that's totally fine. Don't listen to it again. Like I'm not offended. This is obviously not going to be for everybody. Like, it's all good. You're not hurting my feelings by disliking it. Just don't listen again. Have a nice life. 
but to give me a two-star rating but not leave a review like why didn't you like it was it what episode did you listen to do you not like the plot summary which is my always like internally I'm very insecure like I think people don't like the plot summary but I don't actually have enough feedback to know if that's true or not and so like Next time, if you're going to give me a two-star review, first of all, if you don't like my podcast, I would prefer you to, for you to just not rate it and just never listen to it again. That's the kind of person I am. I'm not, if I don't like something, I'm not going to give it a negative review. I'm just going to move on. I might talk negatively about it to my friends, but I'm not going to like post that on the internet because whatever. I recently watched this video by Jess Owens talking about like negative reviews and like people tagging authors and saying like, I hate your book. Now, there are books that I obviously have hated that I've talked about on this podcast and on my Instagram, but I'm not tagging the author like, look at me, look at this. So I, you know what I mean. But anyways, I would love for other people to review my podcast and let me know what you think. Hopefully you won't give me two stars or even worse, a one star. Try not to let it affect me. It's, it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. But if you don't like my podcast, please let me know why. And you can do that by either emailing me at ireadabookonceblog at gmail.com or you could follow me on Instagram at ireadabookonceblog and you could DM me. Also, while you're there, give me a follow, like some photos, give me some motivation to like try on Instagram and like be a part of Bookstagram because I don't like taking pictures. So it's difficult on me. Um, and with that... Oh, I guess I should tell you what next week's episode is. Next week's episode is going to be Well Matched by Jen DeLuca, which is the third book in her Renaissance Fair series. I have episodes on the first two, Well Met and Well Played, and they are both from, I think, January of 2021. So you can go give those episodes a listen before next week's episode so you can kind of refresh your memory about everything. But with that, my name is Emma. This was I Read a Book Once, and I'll catch you guys next time.